Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the Word. Today we're taking our reading from uh, Hebrews, the fourth chapter, the 14th verse. The Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, he says, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast our profession. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens, he says, this Jesus, the Son of God, he says, let us, us lay hold of our profession. Let us hold fast our profession. Now, if you're a reader of the word, if you keenly look at that verse, you will realize that the word our is in brackets, or in some of your Bibles, it's in italics. Meaning that in the original translation, the word our was not there. It was just added for emphasis for the English speaker. Okay? So this very portion of scripture would sound like seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. He says, let us hold fast profession. The word there for profession is homologia, your confession. Let us hold fast. But I want us to emphasize and underline the word holding fast. The Greek word there for hold fast is krateo which means to have power over, which means to be powerful in a thing, which means to be master of a thing, which means to rule over a thing, which means to seize a particular thing, which means to retain a particular thing. Okay? So, if I should translate that in the simpler language, He's saying, seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, he says, let us seize, let us master over, let us rule over, let us have power over confession. He's saying, let us master confession. Let us rule over confession. Let us have power over confession. This mystery of confession. Because you see, today, of course, for the bigger part of the church now, we're advancing into the present truth every other day. Many things are being demystified and the understanding of positive confession now is really sinking in the hearts of people. People have learned or are learning the power of the tongue and they're learning to confess right. They're learning to speak right. At least if you've been in this ministry or listening to this ministry, For quite some time, we have emphasized the power of positive confession, of speaking right, of confessing right. 
Okay, so we are not struggling to know as a ministry, or many of you have been listening to me for some time, or not many Christians now are struggling to know or connect and understand the issue of positive confession or speaking right or confessing right. That is not really something that people are struggling over. The battle now that we're having, even with those who have come to maturity and understanding of positive confession or speaking right or confessing right, is the place of learning to hold fast to their confession. So yes, confess right. If you're sick, say I'm healed. If you're weak, say I'm strong. If you're poor, say I'm rich. That's wonderful. But many have not had the opportunity to understand and appreciate the power of beyond just positive confession and thinking, but learning to hold fast to their profession. Learning to seize their profession or confession. Learning to agree, homologia, with God. To agree with God. To simply agree with God. Learning to constantly master the art of being in agreement with God without ceasing. Of being in agreement with God without regression. Of being in agreement with God without backing off or giving up. Some people now, they know sometimes there's a war within them, okay? So somebody goes through something, they start confessing right, and they confess right. And then something happens, an event, a circumstance happens. And then sometimes, by mistake, they find themselves confessing negatively or saying something that is contrary to the word of God. But in their hearts, they know the truth. So what happens? You find somebody saying, oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I've confessed the wrong way. Let me correct it. I meant I am rich. Okay? So that is someone who is in the process of learning how it means to rule and master their confession. God wants us to shift from that space of leaking. You know, some individuals... There is such a thing in the faith as leaking. In Hebrews, the second chapter, the first verse, the Bible says, Therefore, we ought to give the more honest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them sleep. That's the leaking I'm talking about, like a leaking system. You see, they put water in a jerrycan, for example. That jerrycan has walls. So what happens? As the jerry can, contains water with the walls that are in, some of the water starts to drip out. And consequently, before you know that, a few hours, a few minutes later, the jerry can is becoming empty. Yet it's being filled. It's being given water. And in fact, if you study the Greek translations there, the word there, should let them sleep, is actually the opposite of holding fast. So if you're not holding fast, you let things sleep in the spirit. You let things sleep away in the spirit. You let things leak out of you in the spirit. So when the Bible says we ought to give the more honest heed to the things which we have heard, least at any point we should let them sleep. It means that it's possible for a Christian to let certain things slip out of their normal pattern of things. But you see, some of these sleepings can cause very grievous damage, very hard consequences on our lives if we do not know how it works. Some of these things, you can damage your life by one confession, by a sudden slipping off of things. You could damage your life. So the Bible says we must take honest heed not to let some of these things slip. He's saying, learn to be a master over your confession. 
Don't just be a positive confessing person, but learn to master confession. Learn to rule over your confession. Get to a point where you cannot leak or sleep regardless any circumstance or condition or anything that can ever come your way. The Bible says in Matthew, the 12th chapter, the 36th verse, it says that, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, the Bible says they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Satan knows that if you speak anything idle, you'll account for it. And what is anything idle? Anything that is not spoken in the revelation of God, that is not spoken through faith is idle. That is not spoken from the word or that is spoken contrary to the word. That's an idle word. He says, we shall be judged of all idle words. And the next line says in the 37th verse, he says, for by thy words, the Bible says, thou shall be justified. And it says, and by thy words, thou also shall be condemned. You'll be condemned because of what you say. You'll be justified because of what you say. Think about it for a moment. But your lips are a justifier and a condemner. If you say, I'm sick, you're right. It doesn't matter how you're feeling. And if you say that I'm not sick, you're right also. It doesn't matter how you're feeling. If you say, I'm broke, you're right. It doesn't matter how much money you have on your account. If you say, I'm rich, it doesn't matter how much you don't have on your account. You're still right. Your justification and condemnation are in your confession. It doesn't matter what is around you. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. It doesn't matter the things that are surrounding your life. If you have the audacity to say a thing from your mouth, God says you are right in what you have said. That is why when we're teaching about positive confession or confessing right, it's beyond just what the world teaches. It's beyond what the new age teaches. No. With our mystery of understanding, we are in the glory of agreeing with God. What does God say? Do you agree? What does God say? Do you agree? In Hebrews, the third chapter, the first verse, the Bible calls him the priest and apostle of our profession. It's more than just him telling us to confess right now, but he's considered the apostle and high priest of our profession, of our confession. He has also stood in there, in that right and space of confession. He says, I am the priest of your confession. I am the apostle of your confession. What does that mean? It means that he not only has taught us the right way to confess, he is in the right way of confession. He is in the right way of our profession. He is our profession. He is the word. He is the word. That is why if we go back to the Hebrews 4.14 and you read, seeing that we have a great high priest, he says, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, he says, let us hold fast our confession or our profession the next verse 15 says for we have not a high priest is a continuation when you see for we have not for that means as a result for the consequence oh he says for we have not a high priest when he says for we have not it means what he has told us earlier sort of is seeking an explanation in what he's explaining now so what is in the verses 15 is connected to the 14th verse you see Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, he says, let's hold fast our profession. For, he says, we have not, you see, it's a continuation. He says, but we have not a high priest 
which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now listen. But was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So which temptation did Jesus before? In which way was the Christ tempted like us? Oh, some people think, oh yes, he was tempted to steal like all of us are tempted to steal. Yeah, he was tempted to tell a lie like the rest of us are tempted to tell a lie. Yeah, but we're talking about a profession here. We're talking about a space of confession. It means that there are things that happened to the Christ that could have pushed him, could have tempted him, could have forced him, could have wanted to pressure him to go against his confession. He went through that too. He went through that too. There should have been things that tested our priest, the apostle of our profession as well, in that area, to be pushed to a place of confessing negatively, of confessing contrary to the things that are agreed with the Father. That's what he's explaining here. So the Bible says that he was without sin. It means he was perfect in his confession. He was perfect. He did not err in his confession. He did not err. He did not speak anything contrary to the things that the Father was in agreement with him. That's what makes him the captain of our salvation. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. But we don't see anywhere in Scripture Jesus' error in confession. He always had the right confession for every event and time. So when we go back to the issue of sleeping away, how do we sleep away? It's the issues that happen to us. It's the circumstances that sometimes we find ourselves into. You woke up one day and started feeling headache. And then you prayed, I'm healed by God. I'm strengthened by God. I'm set free by God. I believe I'm healed in the name of Jesus. And then the next day, the headache increases. And then you say, no, I refuse that. I cancel that in Jesus' name. Of course, now I'm not talking about even the Christian who doesn't even know how to confess right when they're not feeling well. That's already far. No, I'm talking about those who are learning or have learned positive confession. And so you say, I'm healed. You claim all scriptures. The Bible says that shall be brought to health. My health shall spring forth. I receive health. And then the third day, it continues. And then the fourth day, it continues. And then you find yourself telling someone, you know, I've been having headache for four days now. You've been praying against it. You've been confessing against it. You've been speaking against it. But now you're telling someone that you have been having headache. For four days. Now listen, already the fact that you have said, I have been having headache, you have possessed it in your spirit that it's yours. Perhaps the first day you felt that pain, you did not confess negatively. The second day you felt that pain, you did not confess negatively. The third day you felt that pain, you did not confess negatively. But when pressure hits you to the fourth day, it sort of makes you forget the right way to confess. And before you know that, you're telling someone, I think I have. I think I have. You have possessed sickness in your inner being. It means you could not hold on to it. You could not hold fast to your confession. It means you got to a point where you were pushed by the devil to admit with your mouth that you're sick. And the moment your mouth has said it, well, with your mouth, 
you're justified. And with your mouth, you're condemned. The devil is like, I have right over this fellow. Why? Because he has gone contrary to the teaching. He has gone contrary to the way of the spirit. He has legal right to afflict you if you go contrary to the word. Because he's the one who stands before God and says, look, this is mine. This is mine. It's my right. Why? Because you said that with the mouth they are condemned, with the mouth they are justified. He has said that he has a headache. He has said that he has a headache. Some do it this way. They say, I don't have a headache in the name of Jesus. I don't have a headache. In the second day, I don't have a headache. Third day, I don't have a headache. You know, fourth day, I don't have a headache. They don't want to confess negatively. So they tell somebody, you know what? I'm not feeling a headache. That's the right confession. That's the right confession. You understand? That's the right confession. I'm not feeling a headache. That's the right confession. Oh, let's pray. Then the thank God. Then the next day, they ask them, how are you feeling? And then they say, I'm getting better. Oh, you see, if you are not feeling a headache, when you say you're getting better, it means you recognize that you were badly off a few days ago. Again, you've gone back to your confession. The devil has placed you in a place where he wants you to confess as one coming out of a certain painful issue. No, you should have said, I'm at my best in Jesus' name. That's the right confession. You maintain your confession regardless of the circumstance. I'm not talking about just going in and out. Some people are in and out. I'm feeling okay in Jesus' name. And then when we go around some people who are emotionally tied to their story, and then they start again narrating, now you know, I've been sick for 20 days. I've not been feeling well. Oh, I've been poor. I've been struggling financially. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you, the devil has understood that the only way to get you to confess negatively is to put you around people who make you feel emotional. Because that way they awaken the senses. And when the senses are awakened, it means you're not going to think right. No, you're going to go back into the realm of the senses. But you see, apostle, how do you want me to explain? I'm in pain. Oh, you've already said it. You've already said it. You're in pain. You understand what I'm saying? You are justified. If you say you're in pain, you're going to carry pain. Because your mouth has said, look, the realm of confession is not a seeding. It's a fruit. The entrance of your word is the realm of seed. When I read, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When I'm reading the Bible, I'm seeding into my heart. When I'm listening to truth, I'm seeding into my heart. When I'm speaking, that's a fruit of what is in my heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible says the mouth what? Speaks. The Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And it says, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. He's not saying they shall eat the seed thereof. Because our confession is in the realm of fruit, not seed. The realm of seed is the place where we allow the word of God to be engrafted, to be planted in our spirit. When we hear the right doctrine, when we read the scriptures, when we connect to people who are teaching the right thing, that is the realm of seed. Our confession is not the realm of seed. Our confession is the realm of fruit. In Hebrews 13, the 15th verse, if you read from the Amplified Version, he says, listen, through him, that is Jesus, Therefore, let us constantly and at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of lips. He calls it the fruit of lips that thankfully acknowledge and confess and glorify his name. You're continuously acknowledging everything which is good, which is in you, which is in Christ. You're continuously 
confessing everything which is right, which is in you, which is in Christ. You're continuously speaking things that bring glorification to his name. And he's saying, this is the fruit of lips. So lips are a fruit. Let me help you understand this. If your lips are a fruit, then in the realm of the spirit, every time you are confessing, you are actually in the realm of result. You're in the realm of result. Every time you're confessing, you are in the realm of result, not question. You're in the realm of answer. You're in the realm of the end of things. So when I say, I am healed, you have to see that when your lips can say, I am healed, you have claimed the fruit of healing. If your lips can say, I'm rich, it means you've claimed the fruit of wealth. You've claimed the fruit of wealth. And fruit has seed within. It has seed within. That means that there's a working process in your spirit that lets you get to the end of right confession. If you can find that you still err in confession, there's something about how the word of God is not yet seated in your heart. It doesn't matter how much you claim to understand the word, you still don't understand it yet. You're still not in total agreement with God yet. If sometimes in your confession you find yourself sleeping off once in a while, no, no, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. I mean, you can't claim to know the word. You can't claim to know the truth. Because you're still struggling in your spirit. You still have a war within. The seed is not yet defined within you to confess right and as the word of God requires. You're not totally in agreement with God. You're not totally in agreement with God. Something in you is still struggling and striving to agree with him. Now, that is what they call being double-minded. So the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In other words, if you are still in the realm where you can confess right and wrong in the same situation, or the devil can push you to confessing negatively, it means you're double-minded. And if you are double-minded, the Bible says you're unstable in all your ways. All. You're not just unstable in one way. You cannot be good in confessing health and then you get confessing wealth wrongly. Or you cannot say that I'm good in confessing wisdom in my life. But then sometimes when I get into the spaces of divine provision, my confession gets a bit warped. No, it's not possible. You're either perfect in all or you're unstable in all. Because God is 360. He's not one-dimensional. He's multidimensional. And he says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And he says, and that kind of man, the Bible says, should not expect to receive anything of the Lord. So you pray, oh God, you're praying 20 years. Apostle, why is it that I've prayed for my marriage? My marriage has failed to heal. I've prayed for my finances. My finances have failed to heal. I've prayed for my health. My health has failed to spring forth. You leak. You slip off sometimes. Examine a person who has believed God for 10 years, 5 years of a miracle that has failed to come to pass, and I'll show you a man or a woman who sleeps off sometimes, who leaks sometimes. I will tell you someone who cannot maintain their confession. It's a double-minded man. It is not possible to master your confession, to have a rule over your tongue, and you fail. It's not possible. The Bible says that if you can control the tongue, if you can control your confession, 
if you have a rule over your spirit concerning your confession, the Bible is very clear. You'll be perfect. You shall have perfection in every aspect of your life. In every aspect. The Bible says, for in many things we offend, but if any man offend not in the word, the same, the Bible says, is a perfect man also able to bridle the whole body. Bridle the whole body means you can control your whole body from head to toe. It doesn't matter what the doctors call it. It does not matter what scientists call it. It does not matter what the world calls it. If you know how not to offend in word, the Bible says you will bridle the whole body. You'll put your whole body back in line. But somebody feels their heart pump, pa, 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 pa. And they say, oh my God, what's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with your heart? You just said something. You just said something. You've just recognized that there's something wrong in your heart. No. God is calling someone who says, if I feel something funny in my heart, you say, hey, in the name of Jesus, you're well. You're well from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet. Lubega Grace, you cannot fail. You cannot be sick. You cannot be weak. And you move on. What if you continue feeling it? Ignore it. What if it increases? Confess more and more. He says, if you do not err in word, if you just learn and make up your mind never to slip off the way of right confession, mastering your profession, he says, you will breed of the whole body. You will control your whole system. It doesn't mean that you will not be attacked or things won't come to attack you. No. But God will establish a truth above the facts in your body. He will establish a reality and a power beyond the feeling of your body. Beyond the feeling of your finances. Beyond the feeling of your career. Beyond the conditions and circumstances that surround your marriage or whatever it is there is. But you see, the challenge is, we find ourselves many times we sleep off we sleep off we sleep away today you're confessing right because you're feeling right and tomorrow when anything just goes a bit off the green you go back again to the old conversation oh I think this is wrong with me I think you even think you even think and then some of you go in the presence of God as victims oh God help me not again not this sickness, not this circumstance, not this issue. Oh God, not this again. No, 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 no. Stop sleeping off. Stop sleeping off. You know, the Spirit has showed me something very interesting. That the devil has tricked or manipulated the sons of men, especially believers, because they have not come to the full knowledge. Okay? Of the truth. Not just the knowledge of the truth, but the full knowledge of the truth. Now, we always talk about present truth, for example. Let me give you an example. Present truth. What is the foundation of present truth? The foundation of present truth is the finished work of Christ at the cross at Calvary. That's the foundation of present truth. All these other things that come through, all these other elements of the faith toward God, the baptisms and all these kinds of things, all of those hail from the place where Jesus died and was raised to glory. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The finished work of Christ on the cross. When it was the cross and said, it is finished. The foundation of present truth is on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Now, 
Not many believers have understood what actually was finished. What was really finished? When we say it is finished, what was really finished? What was finished? When Jesus came, he gave us the very clear dichotomy. The thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, but I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus says it is finished, if he came to give life and he says it is finished, he must have dealt with the opposite of it. If he says, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly until it overflows. It means that before he comes to give life, one thing existed and that is death. The death of all things. Death in all its manner and ways. Okay? So, sin and death reigned by the fall of the Adamic. And death came by sin. And so the Bible says, death passed upon all men. It passed upon all men because of Adam. Now, anything that is in the way and pattern of killing is death. If you start a business and that business comes to an end prematurely, that is death. If you enter a relationship, your marriage, and your marriage fails, that is death. If you start a career and that career refuses to take off, that is death. If you start feeling sick in your body, that is death. I'm talking about every aspect that brings the cessation of life. Anything that takes life away is death. Man at the fall from the time of Adam was subject to that death. We were all subject to some sort of death. Sickness, perpetual death. You understand? Poverty all leads to death. The problems of this world, they are all leading to death. The challenges of the hour, they are all spelling death. Everything is for the cessation of the life of our thing. So when Jesus comes and says, it is finished, he's saying, I have dealt with everything in the realm of death. Everything that could ever die, now I am come to give life. And not just to have a life of a survivor, but the Bible says, and have it more abundantly. That's why the Bible says he came to destroy the works of the devil. This is the reason why the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So, wherever Jesus is, there is life. Wherever Jesus stands, there is life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He that hath the Son, the Bible says, he hath life within him. What is that life? Zoe, the very life and essence of life which is in God, of God. So he's only saying, can you just agree with me? Can you agree with me that the life which is of God himself has now come resident into your spirit through faith? Can you believe that? Because if you do, it means that the devil has no legal right over your body. It has no legal right over your body. Even the way you die is not just the way other people die. No, because see, with us, our definition of death is sleeping. It's not death. Hallelujah. And then Moses says that the days of a man are 70 by reason of strength and more. But that's Moses. Hello. That is Moses. That is Moses. That's not God. 
God said, I'm come that you might have life and life to the fullest. That you might have life and life to the fullest. Hallelujah, glory to God. So now, when we talk about the finished work of Christ on the cross, our error in our confession usually stems from not understanding what really the finished work was. Because that's what actually defines present truth. What is present truth? I'll give you an example. If the Bible says, who his own self bore our sins on the cross, that we being dead unto sins might live unto righteousness. And he says, by his stripes ye were healed. We know that at the cross, when Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, when he bore our sins in his own body on a tree, when we died to sins, we should live to righteousness. Not might, not could, not may. We should live to righteousness. And because we should live to righteousness, he says, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now, underline that. By his stripes, Peter says, ye were healed. Ye were healed. Finished work, ye were healed. That means from the time Jesus died for your sins and was wounded from your transgressions, heaven has never recorded you sick. Heaven has no record of your sickness. Every time heaven looks at you, the believer, it recognizes, it acknowledges that you were healed. So when you say, I am sick, God doesn't even understand you. It doesn't matter how you're feeling. Why? Because it is finished. The vote of your health is finished. It is finished. It is finished. He's not going to go back on the cross and do it again. He's not going to go back to study what scientists talked about HIV. He's not interested in what COVID is talked about. He's not interested in what Alzheimer's disease says. He's not interested in the journals of the doctors. He's not interested in how far science can go. He said it is finished. He saw it all and every disease that any man could ever suffer through. And he still had the boldness to say it is finished. Simple. Agree with him. When you agree with him, it means you will never be sick another day. Why? Because you are not supposed to be sick. These people, they're preaching messages that are very confusing. How can you tell people that they don't fall sick? It's not me telling people that they don't fall sick. It's the mystery of present truth. It is a finished work of Christ at the cross. Was Peter lying when he said by his stripes ye were healed? No. These men saw. They understood the mystery of the finished work at the cross. And they knew that regardless it doesn't mean that they did not expect that somebody would feel funny in their body or that you'll wake up with all the signs and symptoms of a particular disease according to the journal and science. Yeah, you can wake up with all that, but it ain't still changed the fact that God said, by his stripes, you were healed. It doesn't change it. So God puts you in the middle and tells you now, choose who you agree with. Are you going to agree with science or are you going to agree with the word? With what I'm saying? Are you going to agree with me as God? The God of all flesh, or you're going to agree with science. Choose. And some Christians agree with science. They confess in agreement with science. They confess in agreement with science. A person came to me months ago in the office and said, Apostle Grace, I went to the doctor and they checked me and they found that I was sick. I asked them, sick of what? She said, HIV. And 
this is a believer. Already, the fact that she could say that she was sick because they found HIV in her body. Those are two different things. To have HIV in the body does not mean that it has the consequence of causing you to become sick. But because she was found with HIV in the body, she owned sickness. And she's saying, pray for me that I will heal. And as a man of God, I feel in my spirit that we cannot get into the space of just praying without helping her understand what just that confession meant. Because you see, even if they say that you had a virus in your body, it does not mean that you have to fall sick. It does not mean that that virus must have a consequence on your body. It doesn't mean that you should own sickness because the doctor said so. How many people have been diagnosed with killer diseases and they've lived longer than the healthiest we know in the world? How many people have died this year and they were healthy from head to toe? God has power over life. He has power over life. He is the God of all flesh. God wants you to get to a point where it doesn't matter what they say is in your blood you will never admit to its consequence. So either it should live and must live, or if it should stay there, it will never hurt you. He says, behold, I give you power to trample on snakes and scorpions and any other thing. And he says, and none of those things shall by any means hurt you. He says, none of those things shall by any means hurt you. Nothing, he says, shall by any means Nothing shall by any means, nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. God has promised it. And then you slip away from that truth and then start confessing sickness. Oh, I think I'm going to die. You're confessing it. You're slipping off your confession because of what science has given. You're confessing because of what everyone says and what science says and what the whole world says about this disease, what the whole world says about this job, what the whole world says about your circumstance, what the whole world says about your condition, what the whole world says about what you're going through, what the whole world says about your third world. When we go to the finished work of Christ, our eyes are illuminated to the life that is available for us and not only for us, but for everyone who shall believe. Look at finances. The Bible says, for we know the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For though he was rich, yet the Bible says, for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. Now, if that was done in Christ, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it doesn't matter whether you don't have a coin on your account. You actually have no right of confessing poverty. You have no right. Because you see, he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, that through his poverty, you might become rich. Now, if God says that I became poor, so you might become rich, he's only asking you, agree with me. Agree with me. You cannot be poor. It doesn't matter how many losses you've made in your business or your job. 
It doesn't matter how long you've taken to have a job. It doesn't matter whether your peers have gone ahead of you. It doesn't matter whether you have struggled for 15 years or 20 years. The reason why you're still stuck financially is you have not agreed with God. You have not agreed with God. And sometimes when you're confessing, you find yourself again, in some instances, speaking things that are contrary. The devil pushes and tricks you into making a statement. You're doing things and then at one point you find a Christian saying, oh, I don't know where I'm going to get money for rent. You have said it with your mouth. And you're the same person saying, I'm rich, I'm rich. But then you're saying, I don't know where I'm going to get money for electricity. Oh, I don't know where I'm going to get money for this. Oh, and then you even go to your man of God for prayer. Apostle, I'm tired. Then they weep and they say, I'm stuck. I've looked at my life and I'm stuck. And sometimes I want to ask this woman, honey, how did you even get to the realization that you're stuck? And then they start, you know, I'm sleeping uh, at my brother's home. They chased me from here. And then they start narrating everything that is external. And they're saying that because of all these external evidences, I don't agree with God concerning what he has said on my life. But every time they're narrating all of this, I want to get back into their heads and tell them, look, your mind is already poor. And it doesn't matter how many confessions and things I will say, your mind is already poor. If I cannot get this mind to understand that it is rich, it doesn't matter how much I talk, it doesn't matter how much we pray, even if you give, but your mind is still weak. Your mind can't understand the blessing of wealth. You're wasting time. The Bible says, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. Some of you are obedient. You give your tithes. You give your first fruits. But your willingness of spirit to agree with God is conflicted. You're giving, but you don't believe that the best things belong to you. You're giving, but you don't believe that you deserve the greatest things in this world. How can you think poor? How can you think poor? How can you think poor? How can you say, I'm sorry, I don't have money. How can you say that? It doesn't matter whether you don't have it. Never say another day that you don't have money. Find another way to say it. Say it's fine, it's in the bank, it's somewhere, I'm sorry, my checkbook is lost, or whatever you want to. But never say again that I don't have money. Never confess it again. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what situations the devil will push you into. Seize. This is a violent thing. He says the kingdom of God suffers violence. The Bible says, and the violent take it by force. This is the thing where you hold on to it and it looks like it's running away. And then you say, ah, I'm holding on you. I'm not poor. And then it feels like it's slipping out of your hand. You even put your legs to and clip it and say, ah, I can't be broke. That is the communication of your faith. It becomes effective when you acknowledge every good thing which is in you, which is in Christ. You're breathing with one lung and you wake out of that bed and say, I am healthy. I am healthy. Praise God, I am healthy. And then the other lung too is affected and you say, I am healthy. I am strong. I cannot die. I shall live to see the salvation and the goodness of God in the land of the living. You say with long life, you will satisfy me and you will reveal your salvation to me. Glory to God. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going out. I'm healthy from the head to the toe. My health brings forth speedily, I cannot die. I cannot die. And if it hardens, you harden. If it hardens, you hold fast until you get the answer. 
If you learn to fight that way. If you learn to fight that way. You can't die. Then some people. When it happens. They say, oh. I think I'm dying. He has said it. No prayer. No prayer. So you say. But he believed. But she believed. But you don't know what was in their heart. And their personal confession. Because you see. You don't need to speak with your physical mouth. You can actually confess with your heart. You can speak with your heart. Some of you, your confessions are in your heart. You're not confessing straight with your mouth. But the Bible says, you can say in your heart. Some of you confess negatively in your heart. You've not said it outwardly, but it's still in your heart. And I tell people, there you're trying to give birth to it. It's starting to get foundation when you start to meditate with your heart. And the moment you open your mouth, you've given it life. So, you are the total sum of everything you've been speaking. You're right. Everything you've been speaking now is catching up with you. Some of you, everything that is surrounding your life, we can trace it four years ago, two years ago, three years ago, two weeks back, four weeks back, four months back. You say some, and you throw it in the spirit realm, and the spirit realm hastened to fulfill. It was in your heart. It was in your mouth. It was in your confession. So, we want to go beyond just positive confession. We want to get to a point where we master confession. We rule our confession. We rule our words. That regardless of what happens, you will never be heard by anyone confessing contrary to the word. But even deeper, you'll never even hear yourself confessing negatively. He says, if you do that, if you do that. See, when the Bible says that this high priest, the priest we're talking about, has ascended into the heavens, it means he has been to the deepest space of the highest level of the presence of God. And he comes back with a message. And his message is simple. Hold fast to your profession. He's saying, I've seen it all. I've walked to the most perfect realms of the spirit as a priest. I'm not like the ones which were on the earth, which only ended in tabernacles built by human hands. I am a priest that has ascended through the heavenlies, gone to the highest and deepest form and sense of the presence of God the Father. And I come back with this testimony that your confession is your life. God is serious. That is why I tell people, don't even joke about it. Don't even joke poor. Don't even joke poor. I've been around people who say, oh, you're rich, eh? You look rich, eh? And then I say, no, no, really. What? What? Whether they are joking or they are not joking, words don't joke. They have justified wealth on you. The moment they say, you look rich these days, they're like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. The Bible says, and your profiting shall appear unto all. You clap your hands and thank God and dance yourself until you sweat. And you say, it's good that now they observe it. Even in the joke, you're right. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
That's why I tell people, you don't joke sickness on me. You don't joke poverty on me. You don't joke anything. I don't joke. I don't joke. Because the devil doesn't joke. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want to thank God with you right now. Speak words. Speak words and say, I am blessed. Speak words and say, I am wise. In the mighty name of Jesus. Speak words and say, I walk in the power and glory of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this season more than ever before. Speak and say, I am strong. Speak and say, I am wise. Speak and say, the glory of God dwells on my life. Say, I carry the strength of God. Say, I am rich. Say, I am blessed. Say, everything is opening up for me. The world is flinging open for me in the name of Jesus. Opportunities are for me. Say in the name of Jesus. Victory is for me. Say in the name of Jesus. I walk into triumphant doors. Say in the name of Jesus. Graces are surrounding me for my profit, for my positivity, for my increase, for my advancement, for my strength. Thank God and say I have understanding. Tell God I thank you because I have a knowledge which is in you and is working in my life to put all the affairs of my life to balance and increase. Say I am growing. I am advancing. I am taking over. I am occupying. I'm changing things. My nation is changing. My generation is changing. This world is changing because of me. Say my voice is getting elevated. It is getting separated from the rest of the noises. I have a frequency that commands life. I have a frequency that commands joy. I have a frequency that commands favor. I have a frequency that commands increase. I have a frequency that commands strength. I have a frequency that commands glory. I have a frequency that commands an anointing. It is working in my life. The blind see, the deaf hear, the dumb speak, the dead are raised, the weak are made strengthened. In the name of Jesus, I walk through valleys and I don't die. I run through fences and I bump them. I go through troops and I'm not harmed. I carry the strength of God. I'm blessed from the left and I'm blessed from the right. I am more than a conqueror through Christ which strengthens me. Greater is he which is in me than he that is in the world. I live in the atmosphere of greatness. I live in the atmosphere where things are easy. I live in the atmosphere where things happen at the time when I want them.
you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It is done. 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 Keep it. Keep it. Never confess negatively again. Never. If you're there and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He died for your sins. He shed his blood for you. You just repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.